Iran really doesn't need to be invaded. <laughs> doesn't need to oh. be invaded. Oh. What do you mean we don't need to be invaded? What do you mean? We do. <laughs> what do you mean by that question, my <laughs> man? <laughs> I, I mean, Iran is not our enemy. As much as that, that's a weird statement to say in the West, frankly, we're kind of the bad guys here. Mahin Taj. In this episode, we tackle a question by Madge. She asks, Iran is always all over the news. There's always something going on over there. Everything is always so complicated. What's the deal with Iran? Welcome to Ask an Iranian. I'm your host, David, and I'm here with my co-host, Mohammad. Good day, mate. Our aim is to get answers to your questions about Iran and Iranian culture, or at least find somebody who can. Yes, but we can also get you the Iranian take on things, or the Australian take on things, or the British take on things. In this episode, we are joined by Michael Hilliard of the Redline podcast. His show has recently surpassed 1 million downloads through his fortnightly deep dives into geopolitical issues. Michael took a break from interviewing high-profile brainy sorts to chat with us. In a less serious manner. During our discussion, we find out that he's quite the Iranophile. He has not only discussed Iran in his show a few times, but has visited the country as well. Not only do we chat with him about his experiences on that visit, but we also get his take on the future of the JCPOA, also known as the infamous nuclear deal. He also touches upon the complex regional geopolitics, but more importantly, he tells us about how amazing Iranian ice cream is. So, let's get on with the show. Let's get on with the show, mate. Michael, are we going to get into trouble talking with you? No, you're all good. Um, <laughs> I was really worried. Yeah, I've been freaking out. <laughs> I'm going to just speak in codes and then, you know, you'll get a, I've got to direct the US bombers in, you know, that's what, that's what I'm doing here. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. You need coordinates? <laughs> yeah, we just... Or can you connect to my Fitbit? Uh, you're gonna let me know when to drop it and where, right? Well, that's the thing. There, you, uh, there was a big scandal going on where there's a bunch of US black sites with speaking of Fitbits that uh, were found out where they were because they're in the middle of the desert. But there's these all these Fitbits running in an exact circle or like no. an exact square in the desert. And everyone's like, oh, I wonder what that is. <laughs> Um, one of the one of the ways we uh, the West kind of caught out the Russians having you know proving that there were soldiers mm-hmm. in Crimea was the fact that the Russian soldiers were all going to the beach in yeah. Sevastopol and tagging themselves on Instagram. Oh God, uh, <laughs> which was, that's amazing. Yeah, which was all yeah. yeah, it's amazing what social media can do these days. So, Michael, you've been to Iran before. I have indeed. I hope that it wasn't for work and just visiting that's with reference to the previous question about should we be worried um tell us a little bit about your visit when was it uh why was it and how much kebab did you eat i ate almost all of the kebabs that iran had good on um when people ask how dangerous is it iran i said yes it's very dangerous because they'll overfeed you to death (laughs) Um, everywhere everywhere i went to they gave me lots and lots of food Nice. Um, no, I, I actually was just on a run in holiday. I was on my way to do some work in, in Turkey. Uh, okay. and huh. My girlfriend decided that we would go uh, go hang out in Tehran for a bit and see what it's like. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic. Uh, I really, really loved my time in Tehran. Excellent. Uh, met a lot of good friends there, met a lot of contacts, and, and it was a beautiful, beautiful city. Although it took me about three hours to work out how to get out of the bazaar once I got in. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. It's big. Yeah, same thing happens to us. Maybe not three hours, but at least 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we're getting quicker at that one. Yeah. 
See, I feel like I can navigate by the stars. Like I can get around in foreign countries, but that bizarre, that was, I generally yeah. got, I was genuinely lost. At one point I just was thinking, oh, I'll, just, I'll, I'll make camp here for the night and we'll continue on in the morning. Mm. It was, uh, yeah, I got very lucky with <laughs> finding my way out of that one. Oh. So what stuck out for you in uh, Tehran? What, what surprises did you stumble upon? There were quite a few surprises. The, the massive level of education was a, was a big surprise. Mm. Um, Almost every local Iranian I spoke with has, has a degree. Um, the districting of, of how you have all the wedding shops in one area, then all the car shops in one area. Yeah, I always found of, that weird. You, you walk into a district. That's very odd. That's something I hadn't come across in uh, other nations before. Um, how cheap everything was, obviously, with the Iranian economy the way it is at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just how generally, you know, the other thing I, I that really stuck out to my girlfriend was the fact that we went, the first day you get there, there's everyone's wearing these bandages across their noses. Oh, the, of brow of their nose and we couldn't we couldn't figure it out we're like okay what's what's going on here and then we asked a local and they went oh because everyone gets nose jobs yeah because um, it's just it's much cheaper to get a nose job there um even all the dentists we spoke with there were like yep you know here's what it costs to get dental work done in australia uh so both my girlfriend and myself are, are both agreed that any dental work we get done we're going to go back to tehran and <laughs> get it Come done on there back. get a nose job too while you're at it yeah yeah i mean uh well, and if you're going to get a nose job let us know because we all can have a bunch of nose jobs at a discount yeah if we do it all together <laughs> perfect yeah. i mean it'd be weird if i bought four nose jobs for myself so i might as well give them to other people you yeah, got exactly. four noses or like no, four operations on the same bulk. nose <laughs> yeah just get a just get a giant unicorn unicorn horn on the front of my face that's that's intimidate my enemies yeah i always tell people i've had a nose job and and they're like what and i'm like no i've had it increased of course yeah i'm gonna put silicon in mine (laughs) yeah augment that nose Mohammed's nose is already quite augmented as it stands he doesn't need the uh extra work on (laughs) so i will actually be back back in iran once covid ends it's never going to end michael I know, I know. But it, it, once we get the vaccine, once I get a vaccine, we'll be... Okay. Because I see my girlfriend and myself, my girlfriend or my fiance now are getting married in Georgia, in Tbilisi. Yeah, congratulations. Oh. I saw that on Twitter. Well done. I know. We're, we're very excited. But my some of my very good friends, instead of having a bachelor party, have said that they're going to kidnap me and take me to Mongolia. And we have to mm. drive from <laughs> Mongolia to Tbilisi to get to the wedding in time. Um, nice. And there's nice. two choices. We go through, go through Russia the whole way or go through some of my favorite countries. I've loved my time in Central Asia yeah. and any mm-hmm. excuse to get back to Iran is always a good one. So yeah, I will be madly clocking it through Iran trying to get to my own <laughs> wedding. So yeah. yeah, I'm very excited to be, going, yeah, be back there in a bit. Yeah, well, look us up. Avoid the bazaar if you want to get anywhere mm-hmm. quick, as mm-hmm. you pointed out. And of course, yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll ply you with kebab, plenty yeah. of kebab. Well, if you find yourself around Kucha Berlin, you can check with Majid Labufurush. He might have the address. If you're us. into street food and yeah. you like beetroot, there is a I great love, guy. I love street food. Great. Tehran's got some. Uh, Tehran's got some great places. Yeah. So you just saw Tehran while you were in town. You didn't get the opportunity to check out other. Yeah, places. I was only, I was in Tehran for about a week. I went north, um, just past Daglish, uh, Daglish? Uh, just north of Tadrish. No, on what's that city right at the end of the red Tadrish? Yes, right at the yeah. end of the red train line. Nice. Um, yeah, I spent a bit of time there as well, went in the mountains a bit, uh, kind of went to the outskirts of Tehran. But, you know, I was only in Tehran for, what, a week and a bit, and it was, you know, <laughs> nowhere near enough, but it was, you know, we just, we left Tehran to get to our meeting in in, in uh, Istanbul. But, yeah, both of us were like, we need to get back to Tehran. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, but I, I really, really want to do uh, Esfahan and then go down to the tomb of Cyrus the Great. It's been, uh, mm-hmm. been on my list for a long time. That's what you do. Let's get to it. Your podcast, The Red Line Podcast, 
is uh, just recently mm-hmm. uh, got 1 million downloads. I think you hit the milestone of 1 million downloads. Am I right? Very, yeah, no, it was, it was absolutely uh, thrilling to hit a million downloads. It was, we didn't expect anything like this. Um, when we, I started the show, what, about a year ago? And, you know, I thought it was going to be me yelling about, it's all connected like a crazy person into a mic, but somehow yeah. it's ended up having a bit of an audience. Um, yeah, it's a very geopolitical show. It's a very serious show. Um, we get three guests on from, you know, Harvard, Oxford, the White House, uh, think tanks, you know, members of parliament on to talk about one big issue. Shaping news. We did do a piece in Iran a little while ago uh, when Trump was beating his chest, saying, "You know, an invasion of Iran would be easy." We actually laid out how difficult invading Iran would be uh, and the, you know, the sheer complications around that, mm-hmm. and the fact that Iran really doesn't need to be invaded. <laughs> doesn't need. To oh, be invaded. oh, oh! <laughs> That's nice to hear. First of all, congratulations on one million downloads. And uh, what do you mean we don't need to be invaded? What do you mean? Do. What do you mean by that <laughs> question, Wyman? <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, there's like Iran is not our enemy. As much as that, that's a weird statement to say in the West, it's, you know, frankly, we're kind of the bad guys here. Uh, uh-huh. Iran is, you know, obviously has its complications and its problems and, and you know, but yeah, the US is no justification for real war here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to go and attack Iran would be would be just an absolute nightmare, both, you know, for the US and also for Iran. You know, there's just no reason to to get involved in any of that. Mm. But Michael, is it not just saber rattling? Is it I just sometimes see this as a long running lover's tiff. Am I uh, a bit naive in that? No, the, yeah, that's a lot of it. That's what a lot of it is. You know, brinksmanship and also the fact that, you know, both sides, you know, the part of Iran Iran's Politics is whenever the U.S. threatens, it's very popular back home to have a big enemy to fight against. And same with the U.S. It's very popular to, uh, for one side of the aisle to be threatening threatening Iran, you yeah. know, because a lot of the U.S. population sees it as the big bad guy. So, yeah. you know, by flying a bomber over, he goes, yeah, we'll teach him a lesson. That'll that'll scare him. Again, it's, it's not really productive, but it's political theater at this point. Mm-hmm. I think David and I uh, agree with you 136%. At least. Yeah, we're not the enemy of anyone anywhere except for the bad guys and we're going to define bad guys later iran and muhammad and i personally are not the enemies. oh yeah of, of course. course people at of least course. not that we know of you are the enemy of my waistline i think i gained about a kilo and a half <laughs> exactly. in a week of being in iran <laughs> exactly yeah that's how we're going to destroy the west <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, we're gonna feed you DZ and kebabs <laughs> and different horish that's the and... plan yeah you're gonna have a heart attack you have really 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 good ice cream oh, oh my yeah. god you have really good ice cream as well yeah great it's something that... i don't know what how you guys do your ice cream but it's like oh my god it's just incredible, amazing right? there's this mango one you guys do that's incredible oh oh, oh you tried the mango try the try the saffron the saffron yeah, the with traditional cream one. and oh. yeah, I did. I did, tr- I did try that. I got that. I got that as well, and it was absolutely amazing. It is amazing. Um, Have you put it in carrot juice? Oh my god, the carrot juice, Michael! Tell me you did no, the ice cream and carrot that. juice. All right, that's a, that's another thing we do here. Of course, Canada. I did. I did the I did the creaming. I did the cream and carrot juice, and I'm not usually a creamy drink kind of guy, nice. uh, so I was really hesitant going into it. Um, but yeah, it was, was absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah. pretty much any, any drink they put in front of my face, I went, you know what, better for the doubt, let's have a drink of it. And it was always pretty good. It took me eight years to realize that this sort of drink or ice creamy thing, uh, dessert. Maybe You've been you hanging out it. with the wrong people, David. I know. Like why, why, why would my dad not immediately <laughs> take me from the airport straight to the carrot juice and ice cream cellar? Well, I think the biggest compliment my, my fiance is, is British. So whenever she gets to a country, the first thing she looks for is a good cup of tea. 
because she's offensively (laughs) British. I've never seen that woman so sour-faced in France because France doesn't have a good (laughs) cup of tea anywhere. But the first time she tried Iranian tea, it was just her look at me was, yep, we're home. This is fine. (laughs) Great tea. So... You've, uh, you've won over the British as well. Yeah. Good. So actually, we got to thank the Honorable East India Company for that. We didn't have tea here. That doesn't go way back for the Iranians? No. Enlighten me, Mohammed. We had coffee. You guys have good coffee. Yeah. Uh, you, you go around Tehran, in places where they serve tea, they're titled Dahve Khune, coffee house, not tea house. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the British came over, changed that scene. Great cheese here as well. Did you say great cheese as well, or did I mishear you? Shisha as well as cheese. Oh, okay. Um, The other one is you guys play a lot of chess. Like, the only ones I know play more chess than you guys are. Mm. Maybe the the Armenians. And backgammon. Yes, backgammon is the other one. Like, you'd be Mm. sitting in a... In a cafe and someone will come up to you and want to play a game of chess and, and yeah which I, I love chess so mm. for me i was it was like a kid in a candy store mm. <laughs> um but yeah i really really again I, can't, I keep gushing about iran to people and people don't understand when i'm like no no no, it's a whole different thing you really have to go it's you know the airport's a little dingy at times but everything else is fine you gush away gush away michael it's fine by us but you're right the parks of tehran have the sort of fixed chess tables mm-hmm. and uh Ritaria, I know, mm. is one of the parks where the old boys gather and uh, play chess till the late hours. Uh, probably not so much these days, but um, yeah, it's fun. Not even see. these days. Yeah, uh, they're all over. All right, there are parks downtown. Oh, I remember uh, because of the uh, because of that health situations. They've turned all the electricity go. off in the parks these days. What are they yeah. doing? Apparently, everyone's yeah. mining Bitcoin these days, and that's the conspiracy mm-hmm. theory about why the parks mm-hmm. are turning the lights off these mm-hmm. days. And the thing is that there, huh. uh, there's a Chinese company, there's a Chinese-Iranian company that is mining Bitcoins here because electricity is cheap and they're blaming the power mm. uh, shortages, the blackouts on them. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people do. But let it be known that yep. Bitcoin mining has nothing to do with blackouts here. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's the usually, case. It's the gas pressure. We're, yeah, we I, I, like, think, I think we all, we all knew what, yeah. we, what was going on there. No, a lot of people don't, though. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yes, you, you, you're saying. So actually, I misunderstood because I was looking through your podcast list. Who Controls the Caspian Sea was uh, sort of a related show to Iran. And uh, you just mentioned the Donald Trump one, which I'm curious to learn a, a little bit more about. But I saw on your Twitter feed that you don't have an Iranian flag on the upcoming shows. Is that uh, is that because you've done it or some other reason still working on it? So we're still working on it. Iran is sort of, I think we've got, something coming up in about september for when we're going to do another piece on a run oh my god mohammed he's that far ahead <laughs> yeah we have, there's a giant whiteboard in my office of uh episodes that are sort of booked in or coming up and occasionally there's one you know a crisis happens somewhere and we kind of jump on it but mm. generally we kind of plan our episodes out pretty far in advance um yeah like again we've done one on a run okay when you do an episode on Tajikistan, you know that you can do the episode and it will be fine for like three years nothing changes in Tajikistan. Okay. But when, uh, when you do things in Iran though, you know, things change all the time. So by the time you put it out, it's going to be out of date in, you know, six, seven months anyway. Mm. So it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more hesitant to do it, but it's, it's definitely back on the cards to do another episode in Iran. Uh, Cause I just, I, again, I have so many friends there and I really do really love the country as well. Yeah. yeah a lot of things change dramatically here, but then again, I, I think I know where our problem is. We need a whiteboard. Yeah, we're struggling with next week. It's really hard to book people and get people on. I mean, you know, with your Western sensibilities, Michael, you were quite easy to deal with. But, oh, if you try and deal with the Iranians. <laughs> 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 
I mean, look, I grew up, I grew up in a military household. I'm that kind of guy who, when I say I'll be at a cafe at 11 o'clock, I pull up at 10 58 and then wait in my car for two minutes. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's a bit, <laughs> a bit different for me. Um, but yeah, Iranian guests are always incredibly clever as well. Um, and that's the thing. Iranians in Australia is a whole different thing. They all, you know, it's very odd. Like my dentist is Iranian. My barber is Iranian. My doctor is Iranian. Mm -hmm. uh, my landlord is half Iranian. Um, it's you know, a lot of Iranians come over to Australia and yeah. take very high, high position jobs because they're all mm. incredibly qualified. They're very sociable. Mm. Um, yeah. Hence why mm. you can go into Iran, you know, we were already pretty exposed to uh, Iranian generosity the whole time anyway. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there is a reason behind Iranians immigrating to Australia in big numbers. Tell me more. If there are two things we love outside of Iran are spiders and kangaroos. So, it's what, spiders. First I've heard. First I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Why am I you making this stuff Look, up? I so I've I, I've lived in Australia for for most of my life, mm -hmm. and I have been bitten by a spider, a shark, mm -hmm. a snake, a oh scorpion, and a llama over the years. So, you know, I'm done with animals. Wow. A llama too. <laughs> a llama, yeah. Oh. They spit. They're awful. Yeah. I have been spat on by a llama, but never bitten. And God forbid if I ever see a shark, I'm going to die immediately just to prevent death <laughs> by the shark. <laughs> so, Well, fortunately, the one I got bitten by was a, only a little one. It was only about the size of my leg. Mm. Um, but yeah, it only, only took a little bite and then... I knocked him on the top of the head. Oh. Um, but yeah, like again, it sounds much cooler when you say, oh, I got bitten by a shark rather than I had a nibble on by a medium-sized shark. No, sir, it's not cool. I'm not going to shower for the coming week. <laughs> but that's Australia for you where uh, everything gear can probably kill you. Mm. There you go. That's my trip cancelled. Now, I will not be seeing you there anytime soon. We'll be seeing you here. Well, it's, it's, very, hard to, it's very hard to get into Australia at the moment. I mean, for us, if you fly in, uh, due to COVID regulations, if you fly into my state, you like get a hazmat suits will come out and pick you up from the plane, took you on a bus, and that bus will go to a hotel, and then you'll sit in that room for 14 days under armed guard. It's very, oh. very serious over here. Oh my god! It sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like movies and stuff like that. So, actually, I'm pretty sure it's going to be exciting for the first 15 minutes. To show you how serious my government was about COVID at the start, we actually took um, a bunch, like took all our COVID patients at the start of this ep epidemic, put them on an island off the coast, and oh, said, God, you're, not, "You're not coming anywhere near us. Oh, you sit on an island until you until you're better." Learn from the British, right? Yeah, <laughs> we, it was Australia. Australia's Australia. It's like um, payback time. <laughs> yeah. Um, the best description of Australia I've ever heard is we are the Texas of the British Empire. And I think that that's probably the most apt way I could describe Australia. I mean, even Australian politics, to sort of give you an idea how weird this country is, um, and I'm not going to get too political here, but the we had a prime minister in the 60s called Harold Holt who went for a swim in the ocean. Okay. Uh, he disappeared. No one ever found the body. Okay. Uh, he just up and left. Um, to memorialize him, we made the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Pool in Melbourne. Oh my oh. god, what? That is kind of like counter... <laughs> that's so, so that sounds like he was popped off and they wanted to give a warning to the family or something. <laughs> oh, Who knows? Our Prime Minister in the 80s, whilst Prime Minister, held the record for fastest pint of beer drank. He held the world yes. record for it. Nice. Uh, that was his party trick that he used to just take this... He'd walk through a cricket game when people would hand him a pint of beer and he would drink it in under a second that was nice. and he was our prime minister uh, which is our president again I'd this is a that. very weird country that's how he won the votes we did multiple, multiple times <laughs> yeah exactly there you go i mean that's wow 
related to your podcast and your podcast is about geopolitics uh with kind of mm-hmm. a bit more of a focus towards uh post uh communist states am i right now i think you know we've, we focus on lots of countries so we do everything from you know colombia to guyana to the us to europe but generally my area of expertise where i was ghostwriting for a long time was kind of the ex-soviet bloc so okay. effectively whenever i'm uh, whenever i'm crunched for time and i because obviously when i do an episode on you know colombia or, or guyana i really have to do a lot of research because it's not my expert area of expertise yeah when i have to you know uh, russia or tajikistan or something like that it's kind of already know most of what i know anyway uh, yeah. so <laughs> the testament why there's so many ex-soviet nations in there is probably just a testament to my laziness more than anything hmm. okay. hence the choice of font color and graphics and the title of the podcast yes I'm <laughs> probably yeah. i'm liking that Originally, the show was meant to be a very Australia-focused show. It was going to be, you know, everything was going to be very Australia-focused. And then we quickly found out that, you know, Australia is 2.4% of our audience. So we went, oh, well, let's Mm. not focus on Australia then. So I wanted to bring this to a sort of more to current events and geopolitics, things that are happening these days. So, of course, uh, Biden took over recently. uh, And, of course, Iran is involved in or was involved in the so-called nuclear deal uh, and of course you've done some shows uh, sort of indirectly related to iran or mentioning uh, iran there so um although yes we are ask an iranian we are asking you with your geopolitical familiarity what you think the immediate future is for iran in the region i think i think the future for iran is good and a biden administration win was a a very good thing for Iran. Uh, one person I speak with fairly uh, a few times is Jared Blanc, who who did the uh, negotiations on the on the JCPOA, the last Iran nuclear deal, uh, and he seems to think that a this is a good thing for Iran. Frankly, Iran wants to come in from the cold, and the US yeah. has a, a, you know it would like to see Iran come in from the cold as well, mm-hmm. uh, because we all know that if Iran you know if we continue to do this maximum pressure tactic in, on Iran. It will just, you know, increase uh, Iran's sort of reliance on Moscow and Beijing, yeah. Uh, particularly Beijing for its oil markets. Yeah. Uh, so bringing Iran in, a Iran is, you know, they did a lot most of the fighting against ISIS, yeah, and provide a good counterbalance to Riyadh in the region, uh, as well as a very uh, flexing Turkey at the moment. Uh, and it's probably good to have a tripolar area than a bipolar. Yeah. Uh, so I think the likelihood of a nuclear deal going ahead again is is good. I mean, yeah. it's a lot harder than it will be. When the last deal was in, the hardliners didn't have as much power in Iran. Yeah. It was much more moderates in power. And now the hardliners have got a much better position in, in the Iranian parliament. But yeah. I think there's a lot of infrastructure to be had, particularly the French are very keen to kick off their auto manufacturing that was in, in Iran. They're very keen to kick off their oil manufacturing. Total wants to do a lot in there. Uh, so that both the French, the British, the Americans will all want to see Iran uh, you know, come to it. And I think Iran was heading in that direction anyway yeah. uh, before Trump backflipped and everything. So I think a, a Biden administration will definitely lead to better negotiations with Iran. You can even see that Trump was worried about this because he tried, you know, the last year of Trump's presidency when it looked pretty dire and looked like he might lose, flying these, you know, these B-52s across Iran and, and really saber rattling mm. to try and make sure that the Americans are in a worse position to go and negotiate. Because the nuclear deal was a, it was actually a pretty good deal. Both sides got a lot out of it, and it kept Iran, it bailed Iran in from the cold, while also making sure that because if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, then Turkey and Saudi Arabia want to get one as well. So it stops to that escalation in the region. Yeah, 
I think it's something similar. I don't know if we'll ever get a JCPOA again. I think there was a, you know, a striking while the iron was hot, but yeah. I definitely think this is, this will be bringing Iran in from the cold slightly more Yeah, because no one really wants to see a, a, a Iran go more hardline. I think we'd all like to see Iran, you know, not, you know, necessarily just, I'm not talking of a bloody revolution, but definitely more coordinate, more coordination with the West and a more stable, uh, straight up more, uh, more stable region. Generally, a more friendly Iran uh, yeah. is a win-win for everyone, in my opinion. So you think we're unlikely to go back to the way it was uh, previously written out, uh, but there's some kind of return, but in, in different terms, in a different way. Am I getting that right? Yes. So effectively, the the trouble was is the Americans would probably be willing to put the JCPOA back on the table and say, look, we can probably get this again. Yeah. But I don't think that the makeup of the Iranian parliament is very different to where it was. Yeah. You know, the Iranian parliament at the time was was much more moderate compared to where it is now. And that's not, you know, that's not really Iran's fault. That's the fact that we've been absolutely, you know, uh, threatening you guys for the last few years. So of course the, the hard line is going to have more power. Sure. Um, mm. You never know, you know, the Iranian, Iranian politics changes so quickly. Um, I guess, again, attacking Soleimani was not a popular thing to do. Uh, and I think it really did hurt our, our chances of, of relations with, with Iran. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, uh, I, th- I hope that I, I, from all accounts and having knowing a few people in the new Biden administration, uh, it will likely be better relations with Iran than uh, the Trump administration. But I don't think we'll get a full JCPOA unless there is a shift in direction from the Iranian parliament. Well, we're all hoping for the best for both, rather like all nations as well. But usually treaties, contracts, agreements that are signed between two conservative sides are more long lasting mm-hmm than in between like a moderate or uh i don't want to i don't know how to like whatever that is not conservative like a uh side and, why am i uh, just saying say commie yeah just yeah i mean i mean hardliners <laughs> if they sign a treaty with commies i mean it doesn't it's not gonna work but uh like hardliners with hardliners yeah. like conservatives with conservatives usually those agreements last longer they're uh more rational more realistic and uh longer lasting hmm. Well, that's usually that's true because they don't go nearly as far. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for the re- for the same reason that I think if the JCPOA was to come on the table, the US would be willing to go as far as the, the JCPOA went the last time. But I do, I think the Iranian Parliament would be, you know, not be as willing to go as far as the JCPOA went because obviously this government is more conservative than the government was when uh, under when we first signed the JCPOA in twenty. 20- 14 realistically that is not going to be possible yeah yeah and again but we you know welcome to politics what is you know doesn't seem possible now it can be completely possible in the two years uh, and then again we may see the iranians having wanting to get their economy back and maybe the u.s it's not under the other question the u.s may say hey look you sign the same deal so we can say that we're back to normal and we'll give you a bunch of extra stuff under the table that we just don't talk about, mm. uh, which is also a, a, an option that's definitely on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so for instance, table. you guys may have a lot more. Yeah, it would be a, yes, this is the same deal. And then another separate deal signed where yeah. the US gives you a bunch of extra infrastructure funding and whatnot. Exactly. Um, yeah, and that may be the way we get it across the table, but I don't. I think it'll be a watered down version, which is still, again, progress in the right direction. I, I will happily take two steps forward rather than demand to take five and not get anywhere. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe we should help the audience out here with a little bit of some of the timing because, of course, the Iranian uh, parliamentary elections is coming up in June, if I'm not mistaken, Mohammed. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? I, I think so. 
and uh, of course Biden, uh, although as as of the time recording uh, this episode, has been sort of making executive orders to reverse some of uh, the things that Trump put in place. Although mm-hmm. the JCPOA has uh, not, not been, been mentioned, and yeah. and I guess. Uh, who am I <laughs> in this? But I'm. My guess is that that's you know with an aim to a sort of post June sort of let's see what happens uh, scenario. So nothing is likely to be mentioned at the moment. Do you have any thoughts on that or anything to add in, Mohammed or Michael? Uh, well, as every recently elected administration, uh, the Biden administration has been sending Iran and Iranians kind of like mixed signals, but uh, they're they've said that they're not backing up from the current sanctions. But they're open for negotiations. Things are looking up for, uh, because not only the parliament has changed, leaning more towards uh, the hardliner side of the spectrum. So, so do like most of the people in Iran too. Trump is gone, and a lot of people saw JCPOA as a humiliation. People think that they got nothing in return. So um, I yeah, would, I, mean, I would I kind of probably add to that. I like you know I arrived back in Iran just after the. JCPOA was uh, signed with, you know, sort of wide-eyed, expecting business to go well and looking to set up uh, businesses here in Iran. And kind of nothing other than the mood changed uh, since then. Sorry to interject, Mohammed, but um, yeah, so I'm probably one of those cynical people. Uh, No, we had like a lot of more uh, consumer products (laughs) on the market as well, but nothing really meaningful to the long-term economical or political uh, situation of Iran and the Islamic Republic. But mm, then again, mm. what we're looking at is the upcoming election. Probably the next parliament is going to be as conservative or even more conservative than the current one. And uh, the presidency, of course, is not going to be open for reformists. Mm. And we already have conservative, a very conservative head of judiciary. So there's, there's a few things. So the, the Americans will not do anything this year there'll be nothing done you know obviously diplomacy takes a very very long time to get organized and mm-hmm. also the fact with iran being so in the american news cycle that if anything successful is to come from iran so let's say you were to give up the nuclear program or saying they would want to make sure that was within eight months of the midterms mm-hmm. uh, because that that's you know so they can take that to the election and go look biden's really strong on foreign policy mm-hmm. you know he got iran to give up their nuclear nuclear capacity yeah. uh, and that would be so if the Americans are going to do it, you'll find it probably within a, within a year of an election. I'm pretty sure the Biden administration, the Biden campaign wouldn't want it to be ancient news. Yeah, exactly. The You guys have got a, an election coming up in June, and yes, it will be, you're likely to go more conservative with it, um, but obviously we'll see. You know, June's still a long time away. The idea behind the JCPOA was a very long-term one. Now, as you know, Iran's demographics are very, you know, there's a lot of young people in Iran. Mm. The idea was to kind of, show the young people that the West are friendly and here and open for business. And even if yes, not a lot changed on the ground for the average person in Tehran, it opened the door, you know, to, to a more moderate way of thinking, look, we let stretched out to the U S and we got more back from it. We got a little bit back for it. And that would keep building and building until eventually the younger generation would go, oh, maybe the U S isn't that bad. Maybe the Western way of thinking is not too bad. Hmm. Let's kind of get back. And that was the, that was the concept behind it is that, it would be a building block to better, you know, to not westernizing, but definitely sort of showing the other side uh, to, to a younger demographic there. Uh, mm. Because obviously the, the generation that came up in the revolution is is probably only got 20 years left. Mm. Um, 
So obviously now the idea is that those guys will probably pass on. And if a younger generation has had 20, 30 years, you know, quite integrated with, you know, American culture, American uh, sales, you know, Western companies, you know, they're not going to be as willing to fight it out or not willing to go in aggressive tone. So it was a very long-term strategy. And the JCPO is really just the first step of that. The immediate bit was to make sure that there's not a nuclear arms race in the, in the Middle East. The long-term of it was to make uh, kind of give a bit of a, uh, a building up of a relation, the first steps of a good relationship between, you know, Iran and, and the Western uh, kind of Western countries, you know, will it work again? I think maybe a little bit of progress. Um, but I hope there's a bit of progress, uh, yeah. but it will be a bit high. It'll be more of an uphill slog because Iran did the right thing. They followed the agreements. They, they did, you know, they, they went with exactly what they're asked to do and the U S bit their hand with the Trump administration. So, the Iranians have every justification to be uh, wary of the U.S. at the moment. Yeah, probably the Iranian side should this time be looking at Congress more than the Biden administration because it was easy for Trump to get out of the JCPOA because it was all done uh, by the administration. I, I don't think much was uh, approved or done by the Congress. You're, you're exactly right. The, the last one were passed by mostly executive orders and and State Department work uh, and, a, and a full a full treaty. It cannot be undone by administration. It needs to be done by, as you said, the Congress. And the Congress. The trouble was at the time the Republicans were running the Senate, and they were never going to let the JCPOA go through. Um, so, it was passed by executive order. But again, most of the time, even executive orders passed by U.S. administrations are not undone by the next administration. That was a very new thing for, uh, for by the Trump administration. Most of the time. You know, it's very weird. You know, the U.S. is incredibly partisan, but when it comes to foreign policy, there's much less partisanship in most cases. Iran is very different, mm. uh, and that's why I find, yeah, you're very right. Get get it through the Congress, then it can't be undone with the next administration without a full Congress undoing it. Yeah, that easily do. Gentlemen, mm. my uh, brain hurts at the moment, um, but <laughs> that's, that's uh, we, uh, Michael, we reached out to you on a. Facebook group and we were looking for people to uh, sort of give us their questions about Iran so we can you know, provide more content. We got a surprising amount of feedback and thank you for getting in touch. Uh, it's been great to learn about the red line and about well, I, you. I, and do have, I do have some questions. I, I do have some questions for you. Exactly. That's Great. what, I, that's what my, we're my, getting towards. Almost an hour into the recording and yep. we got to the point that we should have started from. <laughs> Just don't make them difficult, right? Flavors of ice cream I can do. Okay. okay. If you want to know about clicky finger, fingery stuff, that was our last episode. Yeah. I know about that more these days. So, uh, Michael, what, what have you got? <laughs> okay. So, if I'm coming from Ashgabat and I want to get to Cyrus the Great's tomb, is it better to go through the desert or is it better to go through Tehran and then down through Asfahan? It's um, going to be way more fun to at least do one leg of the trip uh, through Tehran and stay in Tehran and Asfahan and Karshan on the way. That's yeah. the least thing you've got to do. So is it better to go, let's say, Ashgabat and then Mashhad and then maybe down to Esfahan, Shiraz, and then, oh, sorry, sorry, let's go Ashgabat, Mashhad, Shiraz, Esfahan, Tehran, and then Tabriz. That's amazing. Yeah, that's an amazing route. Yeah, I have some suggestions for some detours, but uh, yeah, I mean, as, a, as the general plan sounds amazing. Yeah, you'll be taking off a lot of uh, amazing places. Of course, the Imam Reza shrine mm -hmm. in Mashhad. Shiraz, of course, the yep. Tomb of Cyrus, as you mentioned. Uh, Persa Police, as of well. Course. Isfahan. Uh, sorry, in uh, yeah, in Isfahan, there's, uh, there's the tombs huge... of Hafez. No, no, no. 
No, the tomb was oh, Hafez uh, was in Shiraz, oh, Shiraz where sorry, we went sorry, to sorry. after midnight or and it was in... closed and uh, we made the guy mm. happy and we went in anyway. So if you go to Esfahan, there are a lot of nice things like the bridges and yeah, uh, the Chalsutun, yeah. uh, which is a sort of a summer palace if I'm not 40 mistaken. 40 columns. 40 columns because they yeah. reflect. It's 20 of them, but they reflect. Yeah, they reflect in the pool in front of it. And there's this Nasha Jahan Square, the the huge, the huge, amazing square with the bazaar in it, which you should definitely spend hours and hours in. The other one, I'd always, you know, obviously, I spent so many defense papers looking at the Strait of Hormuz and looking at, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen so many satellite maps of it. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. Is it worth going to Bandar Abbas, you know, oh, to sit there I at the Strait of Hormuz? Is there yes. much to do there? Is it really? Absolutely. It's you should amazing. go to Bandar Abbas. Awesome city, great food, a lot of flies. Uh, go to the island of Esh <laughs> as well. Definitely and, check uh, out Esh. Yeah, and you can go to the island of Hormoz. Ah, oh, that's amazing as well. Beautiful place. Yeah, definitely check those places out. Uh, Hormoz and Qesh are actually probably a bit more exciting mm-hmm. than going to Bandar Abbas. Don't get me but wrong. But you got to go through is, it anyway. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, stick around. In ma- the people there are amazing. Yeah. So warm, really nice people. And um, Oh, they'll feed you shark yeah, as well. Yeah, and have the so shark curry sandwiches. Ooh, yeah, yeah, revenge. <laughs> you, you, you won me over. You won me over. I got, I got to, I got to put, I got to fit somewhere. Fit uh, Bandar Abbas in here as well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and something uh, there is this on this island of Gresham. There's this uh, sort of a forest that gets uh, submerged during the tidal whatever. It's very strange. Yeah, they, yeah. like a, a, it's really weird. We arrived there on a boat, and you could just see the tops of the trees. And then, like throughout our time there, the mm-hmm. the sort of tide went out, and then the whole of the tree was there. It was so bizarre. And you can get off your boats and walk in yeah. the forest. Yeah. The day after, it's not there anymore. It's amazing. Yeah, check that out. What about Baluch? Like, obviously, Baluchistan is a really, really interesting uh, country. You know, region because it's obviously going across Pakistan and and, and Iran. Mm-hmm. You know, is it worth? You know, what is it doing? Let's say uh, Iran or in, in Baluchistan? Is there much down there or? You know, is is a pretty desolate. There are historical places you can find. There are, there are amazing uh, excavations done during the past twenty years. There's this burnt city down there, and people of Baluchistan are amazing. The food there is great. Again, I'm just like, <laughs> I don't remember the names of the food, or, <laughs> but remember the thing is that we're, what we were fed um, uh, before and after the opium. But uh, then again, the opium there is great. Uh, you you might be you might be offered some opium. Not that I tried it. <laughs> but <laughs> whatever um the, the the land is beautiful there's chabahar i heard the beach is great but then again for western people to go to sistan baluchistan the province is a little bit tricky it's been suggested for foreign nationals to stay away from that province and uh mm. it, if you if you want to visit there which totally worth it beautiful land awesome people great food Rather good opium. And uh, <laughs> if you want to go there, you should uh, check with authorities on, like your authorities, Iranian authorities, anyone else you can find, check with them. Yeah. So the other one I find really interesting, obviously, you know, anywhere you go in the old Soviet bloc, mm-hmm. Armenians and Azeris do not get along. They just, yeah. they cannot sit in a bar together. Mm-hmm. Apparently, only city in the world where you can actually have an Armenian and Azeri sitting in a bar together is, no, not a at a bar, but at, mm-hmm. a, at a restaurant together, is Tabriz. Is that true? We go to we go to Armenian cafes here, and there are Azeris in there. So really, uh, people get along here in Tehran too. Uh, I live in an Armenian neighborhood, and uh, my family is half Azeri. Never had a problem. Well, in fact, that goes 
way yeah. back. The corner shop there, they're so Azeri, they can barely speak Farsi. <laughs> and the next building, uh, most of the residents are Armenian. Mm. So they're, they're fine. I'm, I'm sorry, I cannot say anything about Tabriz or Azerbaijan in general. Azerbaijan, the Iranian region, not the country. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because that's that's absolutely you know uh, amazing. Because obviously, when you're in Georgia or Turkey or Russia or, or Ukraine, mm. those guys do not get along. Like literally, if Aziri sit at the table, the Armenians will get up and walk out. It's mm. so yeah. I mean, that's I've always wanted to just kind of have you know a roundtable conversation with both sides, but it's so difficult because neither side wants to you know can sit down without mm. a, without a screaming match starting. Yeah, uh, in most places in the world. So the fact that there is a place to actually have that is, is really really cool. Yeah, I think uh, I think I spotted the problem here. It's alcohol. <laughs> People don't drink alcohol here, therefore they don't oh, get yeah. drunk and excited and they're patriotic all of a sudden out of nowhere. <laughs> That's probably it. Um, obviously, I come from I come from a be- I come from a country of beaches and uh, and swimming and whatnot. You know, what is the Caspian like to swim in? Because I've done lots of stuff around the Black Sea, but I've only I haven't been to uh, haven't put my feet in the Caspian yet. What is it like to go up there? Most of the year, the water is cold. There is rain. The beaches are not as shiny as in the south or probably in Australia. Mm. In my experience, it's amazing. Yeah. My experience is that it's not too dissimilar to the English Channel. Or at least I was quite surprised to be unsurprised oh, okay. by that. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in the southeast of England near Brighton, if you're familiar. Yes, I am familiar. Oh, yeah, lovely place. And uh, yeah, so it's it wasn't uh, as far as the color temperature saltiness probably mm-hmm. a little less salty in a way as far as the sort of sand and sort of pebbly aspect mm-hmm. was very similar yeah did you taste the sands and pebbles as well yeah i tasted everything yeah. there just Great. to just cross reference to make mm-hmm. sure that you know if the time ever <laughs> mm-hmm. comes that someone asks me a question you know whilst recording a show mm-hmm. did you go horse riding under under caspian yeah. i didn't go horse riding no oh okay should i have yeah, next taste the horses as well. I'll taste the I'll horses. Taste, yeah, I mean if they taste like any particular the, the British area? horses, yeah. yeah, just any horse. Okay, <laughs> just don't get kicked. <laughs> walking in walking in Central Asia, every single uh, when you go to countries like uh, Kyrgyzstan or uh, Tajikistan or Kazakhstan, everything you eat is horse. It's nice. Oh my you god, you order a beef steak and it is not it's not beef. <laughs> nice. Oh wow. <laughs> Apparently, uh, the, the Brits um, were unwittingly yeah. eating horse for quite some time, <laughs> as was recently. Ooh, that led to the most amazing interview of all time, actually oh. came from that. It was an ITV interview they did when the horse, when it came out with Iceland, with the horse eat. They had this big gotcha journalism who went down to Bulgaria, where they were getting the, the meat from. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they interviewed this, this worker coming into the into the abattoir. And they go, sir, did you know that this there's horse meat? You know, they're making horse meat in? And he goes, yes, uh, I'm aware. This is horse abattoir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. wow. That was, a, that, was um, a, that was a frighteningly good uh, English accent as well there, Michael, hiding that one from us. My entire family's English. <laughs> okay, there you, there you go. Can you do Iranian accent? No, I can't. I won't. I'm not even going to try. I'll just butcher it. The other question I have for you, obviously, I, there's so many Iranians I meet. You know, in, in Azerbaijan, in Armenia, in Turkey, you know, in Iran, there's lots of Iranians living in there. You know, what about Turkmenistan? Do you guys get off over to Turkmenistan very much, or is it very kind of just that weird country in the north northeast that we don't talk about? I know people who go to Turkmenistan from time to time. Then again, it is not a very popular destination tourist destination for Iranians compared to Turkey, Armenia, even Azerbaijan. More people go to Georgia. Georgia, yeah, that's kind of than 
popular. Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan. Mm, oh, so many Iranians in Georgia. Yeah. 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 Michael, I think uh, we, we've gotten to the point. If you have any further questions, we are at your service. No, you guys, you guys have asked all, all my big questions, but oh, I will be sure to be in touch when I'm back at a room. <laughs> because, you know, as I said, I, I'm very I'm keen to get back there. I loved my time there. And no matter what, I've never met an Iranian I didn't like. Um, you know, wherever I go and someone says they're from Iran, I immediately go, okay, you're going to be a good person. You know, um, there's so many times, particularly in countries, I mean, Oman or in any of these countries, the person who always comes up and asks you, I need help with directions. I ask where they're from. They go, oh, I'm actually from Iran. I'm just here on business. It's always the Iranians who are the first to help. And it's why, you know, I, I, I always go out of my way for the Iranians. They really are fantastic people. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think, I think that's common perception i would say until you're related to them and when you're related to them uh yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be different the dagger in the back (laughs) Uh, we say iranians worship strangers yeah by the way i mean if you ever find yourself around here uh give us a buzz you're gonna be our guest probably uh we're gonna be the first couple of people you don't particularly like in iran And um, <laughs> but we will let, let don't let that change your view of uh, Iran. And the same with Australia. You got to get over here. Got to go over here. We can uh, show you some beaches, and uh, you can, oh, you can introduce you to all the other life that can kill weather. you. Great. It's cold here now. Great. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Michael, help our audience out here now. Where can they find the Redline podcast? So we're on all major platforms. So whether it be you know iTunes, Apple, Spotify, you know all the all sort of major podcast uh, places you find, uh, and you can find us under the Redline Podcast. You can usually just Google it and it comes up. Otherwise, you can visit our website www.theredlinepodcast.com, where we tackle one big subject each fortnight with uh, experts from around the globe, and you mm. get to hear me being nice and serious and telling absolutely no jokes, giving deep deep, <laughs> yeah. deep geopolit- <laughs> geopolitical analysis. Yeah. You can tell it's getting late at night here. Uh, yeah, yeah, of <laughs> course. We're going to uh, link to those places in the notes or description of this episode and uh, also on our website. Yes, so go check it out there. We uh, Sounds good. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, the Redline podcast uh, comes highly recommended. I, it was amazing. I've learned mm-hmm. so much from mm-hmm. it and, and you really do get some amazing speakers on as well. So uh, yeah, all the best for getting to 2 million. I'm sure you'll be there sometime soon and thank you ever so much for joining us today. We know it's late over there at the moment. Thank you for staying up late and talking with us and asking the questions and of course enlightening us on the geopolitics of uh, the region. No problem. I will definitely be in touch again when I come through Iran so we'll have to collaborate and I'll meet you in person so you can uh, you can show me all the best street food over there absolutely yeah, but uh, let's be in touch even sooner we hope to have you on the podcast back sometime soon anytime totally. anytime guys yeah okay thanks for joining us today you take care and uh... but for the note I mean for everyone including you Michael we love our country we love our leader we love our all of our political parties do we have mm. all of parties them. or one well, anyone involved in all politics we love only one. yeah anything we said means nothing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep thanks for being yep. on the podcast michael thank, thank you so much for having me it was a fantastic time okay you take care thank you bye thank you so much bye, bye. <laughs>